It's Sunday, March 27th, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a baseball podcast interrupted by a movie discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn with MLB camps open for business, most free agents have been spoken for, but we'll take a look at some of the players who still might be able to help a club. We'll look at back. We'll look back when the New York Mets were amazing. Seiyu Suzuki makes his spring debut for the Cubs, while the White Sox force their best starting pitcher to endure an arbitration hearing for over less than five hundred thousand dollars. Finally, on the morning of the day of the Oscar of the Academy Awards, we'll make our predictions for best picture and perhaps one or two other categories. Tom, how are you doing? I, I, you good? I'm doing very well, very well. Was, how about yourself? I was, I was thinking about you the other day, actually, yeah. is because you moved to, to Michigan. I did. And I know that you, you were really almost religious about getting in your daily walk when you had your dog, yeah. and you had the dude. And I was wondering, are you getting your steps in? I, I absolutely am getting my steps in. That hasn't changed at all. But what has changed is the terrain. I went from being in Chicago flatland all the way around, having no basic resistance besides Chicago weather, which can be a challenge, no question about that, to being here in the middle, you know, mountain man in the middle of, of, of you know, very rural and hilly uh, northern Michigan. Um, and so it's been it's been a challenge the first couple of days. I mean, I felt like I needed to have like an EMS truck follow me around in case I was going <laughs> to drop. Uh, but you know, the human body is resilient. So I'm getting better and stronger and uh, the, I'm still being criticized by my Fitbit. According to my Fitbit, I'm not doing enough. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> you know, we'll have to have a chat with the Fitbit. You know, I I'm on, uh, or as it calls me fat bat, yeah. but anyways, go ahead. No, I, I wanted to mention that I am on spring break. Uh, we, we, our last day was Friday. We have nine days off. Yeah. All the teachers in my district are just so happy. I'm you know, sure. But in the, in the past, you've taken your kids on little mini trips during yeah, this we've time. We've gone on trips. We've gone to Padre Island. We've gone to, I don't know. We've gone uh, to Hank, Hank Aaron's, uh, you know, stadium. To Mobile. Yeah, we went to, uh, to Biloxi, Mississippi, and I got a chance to go to Mobile. But um, this year, we're not, we're not doing, you know, the, the kitchen renovation is sort of uh, eaten into our budget for vacations. Right. Plus, our kids didn't have the same spring break that my wife and I did. But the funny thing was that every year during spring break, our teachers at my school, we always get together for a drink afterwards. But, but this year, nobody was, nobody was having any of it. Even, even like during COVID a couple of years ago, you still did. Yeah. That? Even during COVID, we, we, we did meet for, uh, some of us met for a drink at a Mexican restaurant. The ones that are still alive. The ones that kidding. are still alive. Yeah, no, no. But, but this year we were like, Hey, you know, I, I was asking around, Hey, is anybody going to meet anywhere? You guys want to meet? And they're like, nah, no, nah, we'll see you. I'll see you in a week, you know, wow. forget wow. it, buddy. Yeah. So, so but people other, are just exhausted. Yeah, we're we're completely fried. I'm I'm the kids are fried. The students are fried. Yeah. We were punishing them with like all these standardized tests. There was the Illinois assessment, the Illinois assessment of readiness. Yeah. I had a district uh, mandated uh, test, and then there'll be another one. I don't even know what this other one is when we come back. So I'm just pissed off about that but you know being pissed off is the state of mind of the modern american teacher so at least you, know. you didn't have to go to school in the 1960s where midway through um 
you know, the decade, they decided that we had to have new math, a different type of math. So it completely changed. And we were the guinea pigs for it. You were the guinea pigs. And yeah. as a result, you're not the accountant your, your parents had hoped. No, no, math is not. Even though I am in the financial business, I am. that's not my strong suit. You know, um, I also wanted to mention, too, that in our backyard, the Cooper's Hawks are uh -oh. back. Uh -oh. they, they are re-inhabiting their old nest. They're actually putting in an extension, uh, rebuilding the foundation. I think a guy came over from the Glenview Department of Buildings and asked me to pull a permit for these things. <laughs> <laughs> There, I tell you what, they're very foreboding. We've talked about this before. You got to keep your cat in the house because oh, they yeah. will pick that cat up and take it. And I've, yeah. I, and I, and when we lived in Chicago, um, we had 20 uh, neighborhood feral cats and the, there was no kittens. <laughs> so yeah, um, right. that should yeah. tell you something right there. <laughs> tells you, yeah, no. And, and, and the thing about this particular group of hawks is they're kind of expanding. You know, they built a big nest in my backyard but they're moving down the block yeah. you know and there's more and more of these things it's it's you know this is quite the colony we're getting here so but you know. but one particular likes your your yeah. property right they like well because they built that great nest and yeah. the, it's in a great position where they have a commanding look over my neighbor's bird feeder and they can knock birds off there when they want to and so yeah they're very happy at, in ours, but uh, they're they're expanding is what they're doing. Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. They're just finding out now that it's just October, and they found out now around the United States and all the patrons of New York City and Shea Stadium that they are amazing. They'll be amazing, amazing, amazing. And this year, I want you to follow them. They'll be known in all the periodicals because they'll be in South America. New Year's Day will be their best game. This year will get over in a hurry because the other clubs have to be strengthened more. Let's get to, let's get to the peanuts. And uh, this is our baseball discussion. We'll open up the bag. And I asked you to take a look. I, I sent you a link to an article that had every available free agent list. And I wanted you to pour through it. I did. Starting with catchers all the way to through to relief pitchers. I wanted to see if you noticed anything that I noticed the same thing I did. So well, did you notice anything? I, I, there was two things that stuck out as I looked at the categories, but one was expected. And that is um, the gaps that are for the remaining players um, are all older players or mostly, oh, yeah. mostly older players. That's obvious. But the other thing that stood out was a lot of one-year deals. A lot of, lot of contracts that um, it, it's almost as if baseball is at one of those places and times where they, there's a couple things at play, but one of them is in the post-COVID world that we live in, what is the baseball revenue looking like moving forward? And is there going to be some kind of an adjustment made in regards to salaries and all of those things? And it's almost like management is saying, Hey, we're okay with these one year deals. In the past, it they they used to kind of um, they weren't they weren't as crazy about them because of the amount of work involved. And then then you have to do it again in, in six months. You have to begin that process all over again. So that was the two things that stuck out to me. What 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 did I obviously miss? Because what what I what I noticed was how many ex Cubs were on that list. Oh yeah yeah, there were yeah. a ton. Dexter Fowler, John Jay, Albert Almora, 
Austin Romine, Jose Lobatone. There yeah. were just tons and tons and tons of ex-Cubs. It seemed more than any other team. Yeah, and it was almost if, – if Rizzo didn't just sign with the Yankees, he would have been on that list too. Um, however, you know, Schwarber landed in Philadelphia, and I think that while that may not be the greatest defensive outfield, they are going to hit a lot of home runs. And that, that bat, that left-handed bat, helps um, – you know, Harper, Bryce Harper and, and Harper, you know, as I'm preparing for my fa- fantasy baseball draft uh, it, for the first time in three or four years is in the top five players to be selected. Um, so they're, in, you know, we anticipate that Philadelphia is going to have a pretty big offensive year. So the X cup factor they, they there will cannot, be strong. They're not good catching the ball though and that's going to be a big problem no doubt, no doubt. and pitching is part of it too. awful losses as a result you know but uh but but, but yeah you know the other things that were kind of interesting is that you know a guy like um albert Pujols is still a free agent and he has not officially retired he is so, not he is not I, you know i don't know if he's gonna again the season starts in a couple of weeks yeah and and maybe these guys need to think about hanging up their cleats, you know. Well, I mean? it, it just it and I love Cabrera in Detroit, don't get me wrong. But at least Cabby in the twilight of his career recognizes that Austin Riley and Spencer Torkelson, these are two young up-and-coming players uh that are trying to get into the major leagues. And he's kind of stepping aside and he's saying for the first time, and this is hard for him, I will be the full-time DH here. Um, I don't think Pujols really was that selfless uh, based on. So, for example, I I didn't think being a DH in the American League was even on the table with Pujols. I I, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mean, it had to be later on in his career because he just wasn't there wasn't much he could do on defense. and, And, you know, he really was such an albatross. I mean, you know, the thing about Cabby is Cabby may be, you know, kind of a, he, he's declined significantly in, in terms of ability, but Cabby's at least kind of a good guy to talk to. He's good in the clubhouse well, yeah. with the young players. You know, I, I don't know if Pujols does that like uh, Cabby does. You know, now that Cabby has 500 home runs and he's 13 hits away from 3,000, and obviously in May or whenever that happens that he hits 3,000, that it will be a, a 2022 Major League Baseball uh, milestone. Um, and you know, he's already a, a, a Hall of Famer, but Cabby, at, at some point, all all great athletes, I don't care if you're Muhammad Ali, I don't care who you are, they tend not to know when it's time to leave the party. They just yeah. stay around just a little bit too long. And I think yeah. Pujol suffered from that. I think Cabby is suffering from it, but at least he is trying to say, I'm not going to stand in the way of players that are trying to get to the major leagues that could potentially help us go to the playoffs where I don't, I just didn't feel that from Pujols. Pujols as great of a, a guy as he was in the community in St. He really was in St. Louis. He, was, he, some, he, was. he, he did some community. great off the field stuff. Yeah. He was extremely uh, narcissistic on the field. I don't know another way of saying it. No, but, he was, he was, but, uh, and, and that may be one of the worst free agent contracts ever. 
Uh, you've always said that. You've always said his years with the Angels um, almost sullied his his Hall of Fame career. I still say it helped me. He still hit a ton of home runs. He just wasn't a very good average guy. And nor do I think he ultimately was a great clubhouse guy. But that's just me. Um, so, hey, I, hey. I, 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 before we uh, talk about some other things here, uh, do you have any more free agent part to my – no, 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 no. But I, I wanted to talk about that that article you submitted uh, from the New York Times about the New York Mets, and I was curious what uh, what inspired that. Well, well, it, it just was kind of a nostalgic piece where the writer um, uh, who wrote it, who's now eighty years old, George Vesasi or whatever, he's a great New York Times uh, writer, by the way. Um, but he talked about being a twenty two year old scribe when. Um, you know, the Yankees fired Casey Stengel. But towards the end of the run, he always said he was dismissed. That's the words that Stengel used. But he was basically fired by the Yankees. Well, the the void that was left by the Dodgers and the Giants leaving New York was supposedly going to be filled by the Mets. Um, and the, Met, the New York Metropolitans, named after one of the original baseball teams going back to the uh, – the late 1800s so there was all this expectation and there was uh, you know the, the authors basically saying they were an amazing team long before they were the amazing 1969 Mets that went on to win the World Series and probably their first year in the majors they lost 120 games and Stengel basically became almost a metaphor for the old guy that that hung around baseball too long type of thing even though he was the go-to guy long before Yogi Berra was for, you know, misanthropic quotes and all, you know, they, they would go to Stengel for, if you needed a quote, he was, he would, he'd be ready to give it to you right there on the spot. Um, well, you know, Stengel, I mean, he was a genius with the Yankees. He was a joke when he was with the Mets, but that just sort of seemed to fit the circumstances, you know, this yeah. baseball lifer having to sort of, <clears throat> I don't know, be a mother hen for this awful, awful team, you yeah. know, that was just sort of thrown together at the last minute. There's a great story about Stengel talking about that team. And he, he, they'd acquired a bunch of, you know, they'd had some rookies, they had some veterans, but they brought in uh, George Bell or Gus Bell, Gus, Gus Bell, Bell, yeah. Gus Bell from the Cincinnati Reds. Right. And, and uh, he was oh, the famous about, Bell family, the patriarch the Bell family. But but he was talking, he was in a press conference. He was going on and on about his right fielder and what a great guy he was when it became obvious to everybody that he had forgotten his name. You know, and he's going on about what an upstanding citizen is, <laughs> the prop of his uh, father of three wonderful kids and so on and so forth. So eventually he, he moves on to other subjects. But then he closes by saying and. And this club will be ready when the bell rings. And that's the name of my right fielder, Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think basically you were seeing probably the early stages of of Alzheimer's with a guy like that. You saw that was, by the way, you saw that with Sparky Anderson, who actually did get Alzheimer's at the end of his career. And those guys were very similar in how they conducted themselves in the clubhouse. And so um, I wanted to also bring up um, performance enhancing drugs. You know, we've talked about this over the years, kind of ad nauseum. And there was kind of an alarming article uh, in the New York Times this morning um, where they're saying there, once the 99-day lockout occurred, there was no drug testing during this time. 
And they're very worried that we're going to see some numbers like 50 plus home runs because everyone is saying if there if there's an edge to be gotten and basically what they're saying is you can take certain fringe steroid type products i don't know what they are and they'll be washed out of your system but yet but yet you will have the the one year benefit of taking those um uh, peds and so um i think that's kind of a scary uh uh, proposition, but it's something I, I want you to kind of keep an eye on as we uh, go into this new baseball season. Are there outliers? Are there players where you're like, whoa, this, what I would call the Brady Anderson effect? Right. You know, he went so, from 13 home runs to 50 home runs and back to 13 home runs. So you're <laughs> saying if, Andrel- if you're saying if Anderson Simmons gets off to a great start and it's 30 home runs by the all-star break, maybe he might've been juicing. Maybe. And, and, even though not to disparage him because he is a great defensive player, he's basically, we got him for his glove, not his bat. So anything he gives us will be kind of a bonus, but I hope not. I hope that Cubs are not, or Tigers or even your beloved White Sox are not uh, uh, wrapped up in this. But, But basically the author said in talking to many people inside of baseball that players are trying to figure out a way to use this window to uh, enhance uh, 2022. So, well, you know, kind of scary. They have, it is scary, but they have no one to blame but themselves, owners, players, right. all, you know what I mean? And, and, and once again, our opinions, our thoughts as fans are left out of the equation. You know, uh, they yeah. don't consider what it is people are interested in or what they want to see or what they care about. And uh, they suffer for it as this national sport. They're fortunate that they dominate the summer, that there really isn't a sport that competes with them in the summer, that they have our full attention. And that's great. But, but at the fringes, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, you know, the NFL crushed baseball this spring with all of their free agent signings. And, you know, it, it just, they really killed any interest in baseball. I thought, right. Right. And I think that things like that are, 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 that's what baseball has to worry about. So no doubt what's going on with the Cubs. Well, the Cubs uh, introduced their brand new outfielder, their brand new right fielder from Japan, Mr. Seiya Suzuki. And he's kind of getting his feet wet, getting acclimated. He struck out twice in his spring training debut against German German Marquez. And he was a little pissed off about it. Showed because he doesn't strike out a little. No, he does not strike out a lot, and he was a little, I think... Uh, he is a power hitter that is very particular, and he does not strike out a lot. So, yeah, he was he was disappointed, but I would say to him, welcome to the major leagues. I mean, nothing against what you've been doing in Japan, but it's not the same as you're about to see. Well, you, you, yeah. you deal with the finesse better in Japan, in my opinion, and you learn the techniques of baseball better in Japan, but you do not have overpowering pitchers yeah. like you see in the major leagues. Yeah, that's the thing is they're just going to be guys who are so hot and it's there are pitchers that are so hot. It's going to be hard for him, I think, to deal with it. He'll struggle initially, I think, but hopefully he's good natured and good humored and, you know, he'll be able to contribute in other ways. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what the Cubs really have decided they want to do. I mean, do they really want to try to compete and win the division and go to the playoffs? Because when you look at what's going on with uh, Wilson Contreras, that doesn't seem to be the case. It, it doesn't. It, a long so, time ago. 
but Suzuki's locked up. He's the only player locked up through 25 and 26 on the team. So that kind of tells me that they they're thinking he's the, he's going to be part of the future and maybe Contreras is not. And that's because what's his name is really, um, there's a guy that uh, what's his name? The, the great catcher we have in our farm system. I can't think of his name. Oh, I know um, you're talking about, but, Braylon, but he, he's Marquez, but yeah, I know you're talking he, about. He's pushing Contreras. And I think it's suddenly making Contreras a little bit more expendable. I can't believe I'm saying that because I can't believe all those other guys, they got rid of the, the, all the mainstays of the 2016 team. I think ultimately we'll be happy with that, but it's just, it still is a tough pill when I think about it. And, and Contreras is like the last vestige of, of that team. And, and, but I do think he's probably not going to be here after the, the trade deadline. I would, I, I, I think I you're right. I think he'll, he'll be gone and he may be gone before the season even mm-hmm. begins. And there's Could a be. lot of teams that are interested in him because he's a great catcher. He's probably the best catcher in the national league and he may be the best catcher in baseball. You know, no, and- he's not better than Perez. Come on. No, 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 no. He's, he's not better than Perez. I mean, all, all around, but he's, he's in the top five catchers. Perez, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But Perez is in the American league. I mean, so he's, so you could say, yes, yes, yes. That but, part is but true. The team that is interested in him are the Padres and the Padres has some young prospects that would look very good in a Cubs uniform. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset if they traded Contreras, I I'd like him. I think he's a great catcher, but I also think that Hoyer and Epstein before him are, are sort of of the opinion that it's not a good idea to have the best player on your team be the catcher because you, when you depend on him for offense, that's, that's tough. It sure is. You have to take so many days off and it's such a, a, a damaging position. Well, yeah, but we hard. know the value of a catcher because it can actually add wins to the column if you're a manager, but you're 100% right. You cannot – a catcher, a great teams always are like, oh, and by the way, we have a great catcher too. It, that's the way it should be with, with all great teams. You go back to the Cincinnati Reds in the 70s, um, I think of those right. great I mean, Yankee, the great bat. Yankee teams, yeah. they, they all had bat, great backstops. And but they all had other – right, right. like when you look at the Yankees with Barra, I mean, Barra caught and he was an important part of that team, but he also played a lot of left field. You know what I mean? He was in the lineup a lot, but he wasn't always catching. Right, right, right. So, but And, and so the, the, other, the only other thing is, is that you know how the Cubs really have a pipeline to Cuba? When you look at the, the, what the, the Sox's – I mean, the, I mean the Sox. When you look at yeah. the White Sox's roster – there's more Cuban players on the Sox than I think any other team in the major leagues. Absolutely right. Absolutely and it right. seems as though the Cubs have done a fairly decent job in Japan because the reason why Suzuki signed with the Cubs wasn't because this was the greatest offer. It was more so that they've been following him for like six or seven years now. Yeah, they, yeah. They've been in Japan aware of Suzuki, you know, scouting him uh, informally and, and, and that played a big role in him signing with us, as well as other um, uh, what's his, Cubs, like yeah, hurry up and do me, uh, who, by the way, is still playing professional baseball in Japan. Fukudomi uh, at age 44 is still playing. So the Cubs have some kind of a pipeline to Japan. Um, well, that's, and that's nice to hear. And uh, it, it is, it is, but we'll, it, you know, it's kind of like what you were just saying about Contreras. I, you know, Suzuki and Contreras does not make a great offensive team. No. And, and when you look at their pitching staff, they've got two, two pitchers that can contribute wins. And then they got a lot of question marks. I mean, the, the Cubs could be, probably will be another 
cellar dweller team. However, you and I will in the next couple of weeks pick our parentally wrong uh, picks for yeah, right. uh, picks for yeah right for who's going to win the playoffs, uh, who's going to win the divisions, and all that stuff. We're almost always wrong every year, but but I I do think it's safe to say that that the that the Cubs are not going to be our picks to win the National League Central. At least they no, won't be for yeah, me. Right there. Now, now across town, though, on the other side of town, the White Sox are a team that actually is interested in competing, and they're going to be right there, I think, right to the end. They should be a playoff team, and they have aspirations to go to the World Series. So my big question to them is, why are you forcing your best starting pitcher into an arbitration hearing for for what looks like a difference of five, less than $500,000? Two, no, $200,000. $200,000. That absolutely stuns me. How they can't just give him the money and just say, here's another 200 grand for just, you know, I don't know, for your troubles. I mean, come on. This, this is awful. This is I, I, awful. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but for me, reading between the lines, you got to keep in mind the socks don't go to arbitration very often. It's, no. it, and that no. article kind of underlines the fact that, you know, um, it's only happened like a couple of times in the last five years, period. For the team. So for them to do this, maybe makes me think that there's not the big uh, Sox Giolito love affair that maybe people think that there is. And I will tell you, as a guy who drafted him in the second round of my championship winning team, he was terrible last year. He disappointed me. He disappointed me more times than not. No, he, he, there was a couple of times where he put up minus points, which for a, a blue chip starting pitcher, that's just, it, it's unacceptable. So maybe the Sox think that they have such good young pitching coming up that, you know, we'll see what happens with Giolito and, and, or maybe there was something else between these, these two parties that we do not know about. Cause you're right. 200 grand today. That's, that's, nothing, that's no, that's what they pay Max Scherzer on his days off. Yeah. You right. know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so it, it's just, it, it's, it, it's inexplicable really. Yeah. I know. We'll see what happens. So, uh, all right. So that is the conclusion of our peanuts. Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready. Go on, let him out. It's just a math meter. Only another man. <laughs> A man was made by patience and the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? Peter! If I did not save her. Lonesome place out here, Pete. Unless you get in the swing of things. I want to mention, uh, and we didn't do this last week. We really should have. Uh, we want to talk about. We want to basically give a crunch of the uh, a crunch of the nut to uh, the great William Hurt. Who yes, yes, yes. At the age of, I think, seventy-one. Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, we have to really recognize, I think, some of the great movies that he was involved with. I mean, I, I, there are six or seven movies that he was in that are among some of the best movies I've ever seen. 
you know, broadcast news, children of a, uh, not children of a lesser, yeah, children of a lesser yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Which he won I mean, an Oscar for. Body Heat, which right. was, which we've discussed here on the podcast. Altered States. Altered States. I mean, he, he is a tremendous, he was a tremendous talent. And he was, what I loved about him is he was completely unusual. He's like a John Malkovich in that he's unlike any other actor around. Yes. You know, he's got this weird sort of sexuality about him where you're, where you're, you don't know if he's gay, you don't know if he's straight, but he's beautiful, you know, and, uh, and, and utterly very, very interesting to listen to. So uh, I'm going to miss him. And yeah. as a movie you want to mention? Yeah, I, yeah I, I would like to just talk about William Hurt because it's a complicated guy here. This is a yeah. guy that's completely wrapped up in the Me Too movement and former uh, paramours of him have come out and severely criticized him. Really? Yeah. However, I agree for the 1980s, for that, that 10 year period, he was a leading man in Hollywood that um, was fearless in, as far as the roles that he took on for me. I'll always remember Body Heat. Yeah, you know I, that to me, what that's the quintessential William Hurt um, movie, and uh, that's how I, I'll remember him. It's it's too bad that to, to me, seventy one at this point in my life, I don't think it's that old. Like he didn't to me. I, I was kind of surprised because he was in relatively good shape his whole life, um, but uh, I think but- it was cancer he had but nobody had terminal prostate cancer i think or something like that he's had it for many a few years now so it it, you know a a great career but a complicated guy i mean if you read about him uh you know like i said marley matlin said that they lived together for many years he was physically and mentally abusive to her um so complicated guy i will say that i saw kiss of the spider woman yeah when I was in college in St. Louis University, a Catholic university, and I went with a scholastic Jesuit by the, uh, I went with a scholastic Jesuit. I won't mention his name, Yeah. but, but this guy was sort of trying to figure out his own sexuality and his own. Gotcha. Wow. You know I mean? Wow. So, so, and for those of you who don't know, a scholastic Jesuit is a, is a Jesuit priest in training. Jesuit priests have to take like 12 years of philosophy and theology yeah. and all this academic stuff they have to do before they take their vows. And he hadn't quite taken his vows yet, but you know, we, we weren't sure if he was gay or straight and he right. hung around gay guys on my floor but he also sang and he was in a play with me. And so I knew him. I was friends with him. And sure, sure. It wasn't any big deal. Nothing was, you know, but I will say that it was kind of just the whole experience of seeing that movie with him was kind of weird. It was kind of weird. And, and Hurt, Hurt was brilliant in that. He film, was brilliant. Because well, up to that point, most critics would say they didn't expect that he had that in him to, yeah. to have that performance. And he won an Oscar and, 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 and rightly so. And that's a movie, if you haven't seen it, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Yes. Absolutely yes. must see. Absolutely. So, so before we give our, our annual uh, discussion on the, on the Oscars and uh, who we think might win some of the awards, um, uh, I sent you this link on this, this article from LA Magazine where they talk yeah. about, are, are the Oscars basically over? Are they, are they irrelevant today? Um, and, and they make some pretty strong cases because up until the turn of the century, Next to the Super Bowl, the Oscars were the most watched television program event of the year. 
You know, they would routinely how, how far they have fallen. Exactly. How routinely they would have 80 million plus um, viewers. And then international, it's obviously what's much more than that. And over the last 20 years or so, it's really declined substantially for, but, but the, one of the drivers, there are a number of factors, I number mean. of factors. And one of the things that they cite is this new rule um, that's uh, called aperture 2025, which yeah. basically says in the year 2024, uh, X percentage of all casts, uh, production crews uh, must be people of color, uh, people of uh, 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 neutral gender, um, uh, and and the creative people in Hollywood are basically, and I completely agree with them, are saying this is hogwash. You can't, we can't wait. And and one guy goes, "What if the horse is the star of the movie? Uh, you know, what do you do then?" Uh, and so it's just raised a lot of questions about. Um, you know, are, are, is, is the Oscars done? Is it, is it irrelevant anymore? What do you think? I about think that, that if they, because the idea was you had to have a certain number of gay and straight and people of color and Asian, and you had to, you know, check these boxes off in terms of your production crew. Yeah. And, and, and that was in order to be considered for an Oscar award. So the idea was that maybe people could go on and make movies you know, whatever, whoever they wanted, they Correct. just be considered for the Oscars. And, and if that happens, that will completely kill the Oscars because there'll be so many great movies that won't be considered as a result. And, and, and this kind of, this is where the left really yeah. gets out of control. I agree. Completely agree. This is the tyranny of the left. And yeah. within Hollywood, you have a lot of people who politically. It's ridiculous. It, it, but it's the ridiculousness of the of the left. This, that's ridiculous. I it mean, is come, ridiculous. Life is hard enough as it is. It is hard enough. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't institutional racism. OK, in Hollywood. But. Or sexism the, or ageism. Or sexism. Or, or, yes. Right. Yes. Completely agree. It's there. However. You have to let creative people decide who they want to work with. You know, it, 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 I'm sorry if you don't give them the freedom to say, hey, I like the way this person implements my vision, then, but I can't use him because I need to bring in, you know, I need this piece of paper says I need to bring in a black guy. Okay, all right. Right, right. You know. right. Now, I'm sorry. You have to let creative people decide yes. who they want to collaborate. Agreed. And it Agreed. cannot be based on, on, on I don't know, uh, quotes, quotas. You know who would have had a field day with this back in his film, you know, his heyday would have been John Waters. John yeah. Waters would have lampooned this so badly and, 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 and brilliantly, I think. So I think this is not going to go anywhere. Um, but, but you're right. It's, it's where the left has extended themselves. And, you know, basically I'm on the left side, but there's some things to cancel stuff. I just can't yeah, agree I, with I, that. And I, and this, you know, is just, it's ridiculous. This type of affirmative action is ridiculous. It, I but, mean, maybe they just ought to think about being more professional. In the or world. here's a thought, stop yeah. rehashing movies and start making some new creative uh, pictures instead of all of these remakes and all of these sequels. It's and just, for hero, you know, I, I don't go back and read Shakespeare. I don't know what the solution is, but we definitely need better plots moving forward. Um, you know, uh, the, Tarantino said that Hollywood has gotten away from storytelling. 
yeah. that they make movies that are based on situations. Right. Whereas years ago, Hollywood's best aspect was that they were able to tell stories. And I think that that's maybe something they've gotten away from. He, he makes a strong point, you know. So, so onward and upwards with our discussions of who we think will win the Oscars. Uh, basically, I have a list that I've worked off of, and, may, and maybe I'll go in descending to what my top pick is. Your Oscar power rankings. Okay, so in 10th place, okay. I had uh, Licorice Pizza. I don't know if you had a chance to see that film. Didn't see it. Um, it, it, it was a, a charming little three-star film that has no business being nominated for Best Picture. Um, that being said, it, it, we went, actually went to the theater to see it. It was very refreshing to see actors with imperfect teeth. Yeah. You know, Hollywood is so beautiful today with their actors. When I think, when I look at the actors that drive the the young actors, male and female, it's totally different than it was in the 40s and 50s. Those actors back then, I can't even imagine a Humphrey Bogart or a James Cagney ever getting a movie deal today because they don't look good enough. And so when you see that, and that was kind of in display at Licorice Pizza, there's no, it's like normal people are in the movie. That was, that was fantastic. That that was what I wanted to see. And I'm sorry I missed that one. in, In ninth place for me was a film called Don't Look Up. And I think you may, which I just thought this, this film was, um, it, it, it fell flat and it seemed like an SNL sketch that just went awry. And they had to make it into a movie. Yes. Yes. But, but parts of it, the the thing, I love Kate Blanchett and I love everything that she's in and including this, she was really, really good. Um, and so in eighth place, I saw the Japanese film drive my car. I don't know if you saw that film. I've not. I've not yeah. seen it. This the, was sort of, yeah. This is the second film in this award season that deals with um, a deaf theme. Um, it was very, like a lot of Japanese films, very slow developing, um, but a really great character study. Um, basically the story of this somewhat famous theater director, uh, Korean, uh, by the way, whose uh, wife has died. And he tries to move on from there. Um, not a best picture, but, you know, you've, you've seen films like this before, Leo. I think you would like this film, but you would say, what is this one of those affirmative action deals? Because yeah, why is this there. why is this even nominated for? Best picture? <laughs> right. Um, it's, and a then, it's a it's it's a it's a it's a film that signals the virtue of the Academy that says, oh, look at this artsy film. That yes. Yes. Made well, by Japanese people. Correct. And, and there's been some great Korean films in the last couple of years. Minari was fantastic. And so was, was yeah. I loved Minari. I know you didn't care for it, but uh, pa- Parasite was very good, too. Um, so this year in seventh place comes King Richard, uh, which is this, which is to me, which is the story of uh, Venus and Serena Williams's father. Um, Will Smith is great. He's going to win the best actor Oscar. I don't okay. think. Yeah, I don't think there's any competition. Do you think there's anybody that could rival? Him? I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, maybe Riven seen it off of the movies to say that one guy might deserve it over him, but I will say that what's interesting about this movie is that it sparked a discussion that the Academy might create a new category for people who play real people, people who yeah. really exist. Right, right, exactly. I thought, right. I don't know that. that you no, know. no. Yeah. Again, this is 
people people are smoking too much weed in Hollywood. That, that that that's a byproduct of this. I what really King Richard should have been called King Dick because the character he plays is kind even he's though kind of dick, yeah. he's kind of an asshole, but the thing that shined through for me was the love that these people had for each other in that family. They were so isolated because you got to keep in mind, <clears throat> black people in the late eighties and early nineties were treated very disrespectfully in, in sports like tennis. And they felt the, the fury of it. And um, you know, Richard Williams wasn't going to put up with it. And he yeah, knew he what he, he, he refused to accept it. I mean, and, he and he knew that he had this talent and 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 it just it was a better than average bio sports biopic. I mean, uh, yeah. that's that, and that comes in at seven. Number six on my list is Dune. Uh, Dune was uh, yeah. visually yeah. stunning, um, but it did resemble a video game for me, and and I was kind of oddly detached from this. It's a great story. And this was definitely better than the David Lynch 1984 version. I don't know if you've seen either I saw, one. Of I've seen that many times. It, I, it, I, it's not a. I don't like the story particularly. Right. I, right. I mean, so I'm not. I, I, so, I, so I, here's I, the thing: the people that love Doom think that it's the best picture of this year. Yeah, that, um, that are that are not like you and me because I don't love the story at all. I think yeah. I, I respect it, I get it, I understand it, but it's but it has this core of devotees that are yes. little, slightly irrational, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, and it should, and I, I'd agree that it probably won't win. There aren't enough of those fans that I think can carry that movie to win the best picture. Yeah, uh, next is the film I do believe will win best picture but it's fifth on my list and it's the power of the dog. I think Jane Campion um, probably will be best director, um, which would be the first time I think ever that women have won back-to-back -back, um, directing in the Oscars. I'm pretty sure that's a first, which is great. That part is great. This is an interesting film. Did you have a chance to see the power of the dog? I did see it. I liked what, it. What did, what did you think of this movie? I liked it very much. I think it's the kind of story about the old West that we don't see that we're seeing now because of movies like Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I recommend it. And what was interesting about this film is it got some criticism from a guy named Sam Elliott, you know, who went back in his gravity yeah. voice. He said right. the movie shouldn't be made about the West, that it's about, you know, alpha males or whatever. He, right. he just right. felt he, he wanted grander, uh, grander scale, bigger heroes, larger than life. And here's what, I didn't like. I didn't like the way the director championed this woman. I don't like the way she responded to her. You know, what she should have said was, and 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 believe me, I think she made a, a wonderful movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. she told a great story, but she comes off like she's the one being persecuted by Elliot. Okay. Right. Elliot expressed an opinion based on the fact that he's been in a thousand westerns yeah. that 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 are in sort of the more traditional way the sort of i don't know the, the way that we've always seen westerns that he's done those kinds of movies for years so for him he's saying hey i'm i'm i don't like this this is how we used to do things and you're going to get that from older people just yeah. saying this is what i should what what I, if i were advising her i would have said look just say hey sam elliott is a wonderful talent he's made yeah. some amazing movies i'm sorry he didn't like mine as much as other ones that's okay 
I think this is an important story. This is the movie that we made. And yeah. that's it. That's it. It's not. You're right. You're, you're, both, of them, both of them were wrong. They, they both should have kept their mouth shuts, really, if you think about I it. But, I mean, um, he's wrong for disparaging the movie based on how things used to be. But, right. But she's wrong for caring so much about what Sam Elliott said. Exactly. Exactly. Did you make a movie that said because you wanted Sam Elliott to like it? Or did yeah. you make a movie because you had to make a movie? Okay. I, I, I would be very surprised if it doesn't win Best Picture tonight. And the reason is, is the momentum for this picture is, yeah. is strong. The betting books across the yeah. world are all over this film. It's actually um, a, a less than odds on favorite. Um, so I Elliot think it's may have caused it. His comments may have caused it to win the award. I don't I don't. It, it's an awfully good film. Make no mistake about it. I, it had me scratching my head, I, to be honest with you. The whole, it, it seemed like it was anticlimactic. And um, I will say it had the best use of music in the film. In, a, in these, any of these 10 films, it was the best audio. Um, mm. And so that's it's going to win some technical awards no matter what. So number four on my list is the controversial West Side Story. Yeah. Uh, which... Yeah. Both saw. of us thought uh, was a technical marvel and, and a technical improvement over the original, but something was missing from a chemistry standpoint um, on this film. Uh, the original music was the star of the 61 version. The filmmaking technique is the star in this version. Um, and I just kept asking myself, was it necessary to, to make this film? Did, did you have really of all the films to remake um, that? And so what did, what did, what are your thoughts on West Side Story? I, I loved it. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. But you're right. It's not the best picture. And uh, there, there are great things about it. There were some interesting things about the update. We talked about this last week. Yeah. And the woman who plays Maria, what's her name? Um, uh, the one that's going to win the, the best the supporting the actress. Um, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, just, I'm pulling up IMDb now. But uh, she is absolutely mesmerizing. You cannot take your eyes off of her uh Adria, ariana debose she's yes, fantastic DeBose. and she and, will she will win the oscar she's won every award leading up to this and, um and, and, and she steals this picture too you can't take your does. eyes off of her yeah. but that being said i just like i said i just kept saying what why why, why was this film made yeah, it I mean, didn't make any do... money. People didn't go to the theater to see it. Just it's almost like it was an ego thing for Spielberg. Well, I think COVID really hurt it. it no know? doubt, there's no doubt about that. COVID hurt a lot of films, and uh, but but this one in particular, I don't know why that was the case, but but you know, and I think that it, it's great in many ways, but yeah. it altogether, I can't say it's a great. You know what I mean? So anyway. So number three on my list is uh, Nightmare Alley. This is a film that in almost any other year, I would think it would be um, considered a front runner for Best Picture, but I think it has no chance. Um, you know, you and I are big fans of this director, Del Toro, who um, made Pan's Labyrinth, one of our, both of our favorite films. Um, this film is not as good as that film, but it's almost as good. It's a very, it's, it's, it's beautifully filmed. There's only one slight problem, and that is the casting of Bradley Cooper in the lead. I kept thinking to myself, this would be better if DiCaprio 
had this role. Once again, Kate Blanchett is unbelievable. Um, this is a, a, a this is a, a rare modern film noir that I think will live longer. This is one of those films that a hundred years from now, they'll be like, how did this not win best picture? This is the best film of these 10. I think over time, this will, this film will grow in stature and, and respect. Um, if you have a chance to see this on the big screen, there's actually a black and white version. Do not miss it because it's, it's uh, uh, the director wanted it to be like a forties film noir. And he, and he, it, it, this is just, all the way up to the very last shot is a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, you'll love it when you do all see right, it. So. All right, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll try to see that. I'm sorry I missed it. So no, uh, Number two is a film you did not care for, your wife liked even less, and that was Belfast. Right. Um, if, if you asked me a month ago, I would say Belfast is going to win the best picture, and it still may. I don't think so. I, I think, think it's so. it's coming down to the power of the dog and the film that I'm going to mention after this one, which is now gaining steam. Um, but Belfast, which it resonated with me just because of it, it rivaled my my childhood growing up in Detroit. You didn't like it as much. Why why didn't you care for Belfast? I didn't like it as much because you know uh, you look at Kenneth Branagh who directed this movie, and this is based on his own life. And I you know I I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with the story that he's telling. My problem is, is that he is too big and powerful a director and his powers as a director to create images are at such a, they're at such a point where the movie itself for such a small story about a small neighborhood in, in Belfast at yeah. a time and, and this family dealing with some of the issues that are happening there, it, it, it just wasn't gritty enough. Everything was just too crystal clear. Yeah. Too perfect. I think that's a fair criticism, by the way. It was very sanitized in its yeah. in the black and white uh, filming, and and, and your, just, part of it was was COVID because they had some limits of what they could film. So Brannick, he was sitting here, he would tell you, "Well, yeah, that's true, but because of COVID, we had to do you do digital stuff that we wouldn't have done if it wasn't COVID." And I'll tell you this: I think that it's the kind of film that a younger filmmaker, a hungrier filmmaker with with less access to great resources, should he should have made it then when yeah. he was a young man. I, I think you 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 you, you might. I think you're 100 right about this. He he, but but he was busy. He was off teaching us all about Shakespeare, which is fine. I mean, I don't right. begrudge <laughs> him for making the movie, and he he does a good job, and right. there are good things about it, but. I think it would have been a better movie made by a younger man. But anyway, well, what's the I, I had to see that film twice because the first time I saw it, Catriona Belfi, who plays the child's yeah. mother, was so beautiful that it was distracting to me. And then when I saw it the second time, I, I enjoyed it much better. <laughs> I wasn't as focused on that. Number one for me was the film we discussed last week, Coda. Um, yeah. I, I, and by the way, it is gaining steam. I've been looking at the, the uh, sports books, the betting books, and it's now in second to against power of the dog. So if there is an upset tonight, Coda probably will Coda be, yeah. will be that horse that does it. I still, I think it's going to be the power of the dog, but I hope that it's Coda because I really, really like this film. I know there's flaws to it. We talked about some of the stuff is just unbelievable. And it's kind of a standard high school boy gets the girl, girl gets the boy story. Um, but I just thought it was very nuanced with the, with the, the way that the, um, the deaf characters were handled and the, and the, uh, 
uh, Troy Kutzar will be the yeah. best supporting actor as the father. Yeah, and Marley Matlin will be in the running for best supporting actress. Well, and- she, she would be if she was nominated, but she wasn't oh. nominated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you had you had some other categories you wanted to talk about. So well, I mean, we 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 went through a few of them. I think the the woman who plays, um, oh gosh, who's the leading lady in uh, in in Coda? What's her name? The actress who plays the hearing child. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah. I know you're talking about. She's she's. Uh, I don't know. Gonna, you, you caught yeah, me off guard. I need to have this stuff here. I I don't. But her name is Emelina Jones, who plays Ruby Ross. Yeah, she was great. And she learned, she basically, you told me yeah, that yeah. she spent a year of her life learning how to sign. And I mentioned that uh, she looked to me like she'd been signing her whole life. Right, and I think right. that kind of commitment deserves some recognition on the part of the Academy. So I think that I'd like to see her win, um, you know. Now, most well, when she gets nominated, she will, but she's not oh, nominated this, this, this year. No, no. Can uh, you write her in, Tom? No, right. Oh, that, at, at this late hour, I don't know. I think it's on fucking Wagnall's porch right now. I don't think we yeah. can do that. Uh, but yeah. speaking of like best actress, most people think that um, uh, Jessica Chastain for, will win for the eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, yeah, right, um, right. However, other people think it might be Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers or Kristen Stewart for Spencer. So it, that's that could be an interesting one. Hard to win when your movie isn't in the running for Best Picture. Kind it's of. I, to, I, you know, it, 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 it's weird. I, I agree. And I think that's why I think that Will Smith is going to win the Best Actor. As good as these other actors were, uh, and Denzel Washington was in The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is not a nominated film was fantastic as, as always. So that's this, is, but I think he's it's Will won. Smith. He's never what? won. No, he's he has won. He won oh, for um, training day. I think. Yeah. He's oh, been training? A, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, that's, that's, that's really it. You picked the film last week that we're going to watch again. Why don't you uh, lead us out and re talk about that one again? I'll remind everybody. And, uh, and it was the movie that you chose last week, Coda that made me choose this movie. And it's, uh, it's called Under the Same Moon. In Spanish, it's Bajo la Misma Luna, uh, starring Kate del Castillo and Eugenio Derbez. And there are a few other people you might recognize as well. And uh, this movie is a movie that I show to my students when I have them write argumentative and comparative pieces on right. that have to do with immigration, because it deals directly with the plight of immigrants and undocumented immigrants in the United States and the kind of lives that they are forced to lead, not the lives that they choose to lead, but they are right. forced. To lead. And um, I think it's a, a really good movie. I think you'll like it. All righty then. All right. So until next week, we are the two peas in the podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along put bunches of roses all over my coffee roses to deaden the clouds as they fall